right into it. I'm joined by my son, Nicholas Long, who's coming back again to talk about Blu-ray and 4K releases. And this time we're going to be talking about the December releases that came and went in the month prior. And I know you have gotten a few of these, and I'm going to let you speak to them as we come along. And uh, you can uh, tell us uh, what what you th- what was your take on the uh, the year in physical media? Was it was a would you say it was a banner year, a good year? Uh, I'll, I'll let you uh, uh, give us like an overview as we look back at the year prior in physical media. Okay. Um, yeah, so glad to be back. Um, it's been a couple months. I think maybe September was when I was last I, here, but I think early October, uh, I believe it was. Yeah. Yeah. So covering September was what it was. Yeah. yeah um, that's what we did. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I only picked up two this month, but I did obviously see some with you and uh, several of these films also I've seen in theaters or whatnot. So I can speak to them in their, those formats as well. But, uh, Trying to think in terms of the year, um, I would say for me, and I, I feel like a lot of people have echoed this in the space. Uh, I think it was overall, a, a, like I said uh, on the previous episode, I'm pretty new to collecting, but based on what I've seen historically in the past couple of years, it appears this is a pretty good year for 4K. And uh, for me, I've gotten a lot of things that I really enjoy that have come out this year on, on the format. So. I'm I'm satisfied with the year in review. Um, in terms of labels that I particularly enjoyed, I think, or quality-wise that I enjoyed, I guess we'll say, um, I think Arrow Video was up there for me in terms of number one, which I didn't get too many titles because they're a little more on the pricey end and uh, try to stay in the budget area. But uh, I picked up The Warriors, Barbarella, and uh, Weird Science for Arrow. And all of those were two Barbarella and the Warriors would definitely be in my top five ish. Um, don't exactly have a number set, but uh, excellent in terms of quality. And then uh, it, AV and visual quality. And then uh, weird science, a little hit, hit and miss, but uh, I'm glad to have it on 4K and I didn't have it. Uh, just had a little bit of, of a haze to it for me with the grain was a little bit too much, but uh, overall uh, I think Aero video for me was the standout. Uh, I'm trying to think of a single release that really spoke to me, but it's not coming to me at the moment. Maybe I'll, I'll come back to that, but yeah, I'll be interested to hear what your take is. Well, you know, Arrow was a, was a, it was a good year for Arrow. Yes, it was indeed. You know, one of my, most it, well, two of my most anticipated titles, one of which I'm not going to scoop myself. We can talk yep. about that when we come to it. But the, the other one, back, yeah, we, you know about the one. Uh, but back in March, Black Sunday, which I showed, I ran that oh, for yeah. you a couple of years back, and you didn't respond to it as strongly as, as I did. We're talking about the 1977 Black Sunday, not the 1960 Mario Bava film, by the way, for anybody who's uh, following there. <laughs> there's a horror film from 1960, Ita- Italian uh, Mario Bava, and then there's the uh, the one about the terrorist plot to blow up the Super Bowl. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday filmed at, during an actual Super Bowl in 1976, which is pretty amazing they were able to pull that off. But, uh, but yeah, that was one of my most uh, requested titles. In fact, I had the fortune of talking to the head of Paramount's Restoration, uh, Andrea Callas, a couple of years ago, and I, I even put that bug in her ear. I said, uh, 
how about uh, Black Sunday there? And uh, she and and this other title we're getting ready to talk about. I, I mentioned both of those to her, and lo and behold, they came out this year, and uh, it was through their the distribution deal that they have with Paramount. Arrow does, and that's how they did the Warriors, which we. We'll talk about that a little bit. And, uh, and, you know, so they've gotten some really good Paramount titles and they've got more coming. The Shootist, the final film for John Wayne, that's uh, coming up next month. And Barbarella was in November. I know you really liked, uh, responded strongly to the quality, picture quality. Uh, the film is a mixed bag, but, you know, I know you like the quality yeah. of the picture and uh, everybody else is saying the same thing that it's really impeccable. So, um, uh, and sadly, I have not gotten to watch it yet i just haven't gotten around to it i still have it it's sitting there i'm gonna get to it uh but just uh it's award season and you know being part of the north carolina film critics and the southeastern film critics you have deadlines you have to see you know they, they want you to see as much review product as you uh, films that are in competition rather uh before you vote and to be informed and so i felt that like that was top priority for me so uh so that kept me from seeing some of the review review titles but uh, in the uh, these uh, next couple of winter months, uh, hopefully All right, will... the, the day will come. I'm sure. Yeah, there you go. So anyway, well, let's jump to it, uh, and we do this chronologically, of course, uh, starting uh, December 5th in this case. And I've got a couple of these. Uh, I've got quite a few of these, and I know you've got at least one, maybe more. I'm yep. not sure. Uh, we'll start with one that I think you have, and you can tell us about it. Uh, Titanic. Uh, came out in 4K for the first time ever in 4K Ultra HD. This is a Paramount release. Uh, of course, uh, don't have to tell you what Titanic is. I mean, you know, the one yep. of 11 Academy it's Awards. Yep. It's, it's, uh, you know, the, the word iconic is bandied about a little too much these days, but I, I would say this is probably an iconic film, you know, for, uh, the career path that it took its stars on and, uh, cause they were, you know they're on their ascendancy, but this really put them into the stratosphere. And I don't know, it's a uh, uh, it's been issued you know several times before. Unfortunately, in this new set, uh, you don't get the 3D version. So if you got the 3D version like I do years ago, uh, you kind of have to hold on to that. Uh, if you have the technology or, or the uh, capability rather to see a 3D film in your home, you want to hold on to that old one. But uh, I think you did uh, get a chance to dig into this one, did, didn't you, I believe? Uh, well, I actually uh, had the privilege of – it was re-released in theaters <laughs> back in February, and it was the same 4K scan, and they released it for Valentine's Day, um, and I ended up going around that time to go see it. But I have <laughs> I have not actually broke the seal on, on the copy I have. <laughs> That's but right. Yeah, I remember now. Because I, I did watch it in February, so it's, mm-hmm. it's been kind of pushed too fresh. back there. Yeah. Um, but I am trying to get around to digging into the special features here. Um, I did, uh, in terms of the transfer that I did see in theaters, which I would assume it's, you know, pretty similar being put on the disc. Um, I'll say it, it looks fr- from what I remember, pr- uh, pretty good to great. Um, I, I don't remember it being utterly spectacular, but definitely the best it's ever looked. And, uh, the, the only thing, negative i'll say about it that i remember was some of the obviously the special effects transitioning from the late 90s to today to 4k don't exactly hold up a whole lot which there's not a whole uh, ton of uh, necessarily computer generated effects other than there's these long shots of the ship and you can kind of tell that there's some people walking on platforms that aren't exactly people they're just digital recreations and they look very 
early 2000s video game to me. And so, so that can kind of take you out a little bit. But the, the shot, shots aren't very long. And for a three-hour movie, you'll quickly uh, forget about them in a few minutes. And then the last thing, I, I remember the ship breaking up. Uh, as we know, it, it, it kind of looks almost toyish a little bit in the 4K, which for it being, you know, this big climax of the film, perhaps that detracts from it a little bit. But once again, it still looks great overall, and it doesn't look too bad from what I remember. Just I remember thinking it could have looked a little bit better. But I think that's just transitioning the effects to today. Um, yeah. There is one special feature, though, that I really want to watch, and I think I told you about it previously. I've heard some people talking about it in the space, and there's one where uh, I don't know the name of it, but it's on the back here. And basically, it says there's over 15 hours of bonus content here, so mm-hmm. uh, lots to dig into. But yeah. the one I'm most interested in, that James Cameron goes through and basically does kind of a mythbuster, breaking down different myths and lies and misconceptions about the Titanic. And one of the things I know he talks about is uh, for all the years people have been debating whether or not uh, Jack could have stayed on the on the door that Rose was on at the end, and could he have lived and uh, he talks about the science behind that and whether or not he could have, and they actually do the math, and it, that just sounds really intriguing to me. And there's other things they talk about too, but uh, that's probably the first thing I'll look at when I do get to dig into it. But yeah, I, I would definitely recommend, and it's a definitely a, a, a modern classic that I feel like everyone should probably have. Yep, yep, I, I would say so. And uh, it's the first of this uh, new batch of uh, James Cameron titles that have been uh, remastered in the. Um, uh, that people are highly anticipating. There's a quartet of them, I guess you would say, and we've got The Abyss and Aliens and uh, Two Lies coming down the pike in March, supposedly, though nothing official has been, no press releases or anything of that nature have been have come forth. At least I haven't seen them, uh, but I'm sure we can expect those any day. And uh, there's some uh, controversy about some of the... Uh, uh, you, can, you can get them digitally, of course, the 4K uh, upgrades of those movies, but uh, there's some... Some controversy there, but uh, I'm going to hold my breath until we get the uh, discs, and then we can uh, talk a little bit about that when that happens. Uh, but for now, you know, we'll, uh, the, the Titanic, I've heard that it's, you know, not, that the transfer is not perfect. The, the, uh, the, the effects were done in, um, you know, 1K, I guess, so they had to upgrade mm-hmm. them to 2K, and, you know, there's a lot of, uh, so the digital effects, you know, are yeah. not at the same level as the filmic elements, I guess you would say. So that that's that's an issue that's ongoing with a lot of uh, these Just movies that were shot. Movies, yeah. yeah, the infancy of the digital uh, format. So anyway, and while we're talking about films with a, a lot of CGI, uh, here's one that used quite a bit of it, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Uh, <laughs> Disney has issued this one. And uh, for they they uh, there was some worry. I think that they weren't even going to do a disc release of this. And then, uh, lo and behold, at the end of the year, they finally did. Although it'd been available digitally for quite a while, I think. But um, yeah, it, 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 it's worth. Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, so uh, I obviously haven't seen the disc. I don't really get review product from Disney. Never have. Uh, I guess they don't feel like I'm uh, I'm good enough for for their product, but, uh, but there's so little of it. Uh, I don't think I'm missing much, uh, but 
Yeah, I hear that, you know, the quality has been, uh, is pretty good. Uh, their last couple of releases have been, even though they have so few of them, uh, the quality has been getting high marks, and I'm assuming Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny would be one of those. I, I'm probably going to pick it up when it's cheap enough because I want to be a completist. I have the other four films, obviously, and so, uh, you know, got to have that. Uh, so I would like that, but it's probably... I don't know if it's my least favorite film of the the series. It's it's a toss up between that and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I don't know about you. I can't remember which one you liked uh, the least. Uh, yeah, uh, I I think this this is slightly above Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I thought me. so too. Just a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah. So it was fun to see you know Indiana Jones again, but did it need to be done? Probably not. Um, but it's enjoyable, and it is what it is. And yeah, I'll probably get it someday when it's cheap enough, but not right now. Yeah. Maybe those uh, Best Buy Steel books, uh, since they're getting out of the media business, maybe we'll find one of those for 10 bucks, like they did their uh, Disney stuff. Uh, they had a, recently had a Disney, nice. Disney sale recently where they were doing their animated stuff. You turned me on to that, and I got uh, Beauty and the Beast for 10 bucks. It was normally uh, $30, $20 savings. So, uh I guess uh, Best Buy getting out of the media business can be advantageous if you uh, <laughs> if you hit it at the right time. So uh, anyway, so well, got two more uh, early '90s. I guess you'd call them classics to some people. I, I'm uh, I think they're mixed bags myself, but uh, one of them is Point Break from 1991 with Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves. Uh, this was uh, had an ill-fated remake in 2015 that was released on Christmas Day, and I got uh, horrible reviews. I didn't see. I don't think I've ever seen the original Point Break all the way through. I've seen bits and pieces of it. I didn't see it in the theater, and I do need to see this because it's directed by Catherine Bigelow, who of course won an Oscar for The Hurt Locker, mm-hmm. and she was previously married to James Cameron. Speaking of James Cameron, it all ties together. Uh, so, yeah, uh, the, they say the transfer is good on this. That's so a uh, part of the Shout Select. Uh, line of titles and I did not get a review copy of this one and since they were gracious enough to send me some other really good titles uh, I didn't I didn't want to uh, nitpick and so I just kind of let it go but um, I would like to sit down with this at some point and again if it's on sale I might pick it up just because I've never seen it all the way through and I know I know that's uh, that's a terrible blind spot especially when I was coming I was in my early 20s when it came out I should have seen it but I just for whatever reason I didn't see it when it came out so anyway but it's out there uh with some new extras as well Young Guns is the other film I was talking about actually that's an early uh, late 80s not early 90s I was wrong I was thinking of the sequel which came out in 90 but Young Guns is uh you know it's it's basically a western with the brat pack of course, the one, a lot of the actors from like The Breakfast Club and Say Almost Fire and all those types of films, uh, they just decided to put them in a Western instead. And a lot of people love this film. Uh, you know, I remember just thinking I have seen it and I thought, well, it's OK, but I felt no need to return to it. But anyway, it's in 4K for the first time ever. Lionsgate. And a couple other 4K upgrades. Silver Bullet. This is a. Shout Factory title that I did, uh, or Scream Factory rather, that I was uh, lucky enough to get a copy of. And this is um, no new extras, just some, um, you know, the new transfer taken from the original camera negative in Dolby Vision. Well, you do get a new audio commentary, I'm sorry, with Eric Vespi and Scott Wampler of the King cast, which is a podcast about Stephen King films. I know you grew up watching this. Uh, at least you watched it once, maybe twice. I can't remember. Uh, I know your sister was a big fan of this film and made us yep. watch it uh, at least 
I'm, <laughs> I'm saying she made us watch it at least uh, <laughs> multiple times. But uh, yeah, she, I probably she, saw it at least twice. But I honestly right. don't know much about it, other than uh, there's a werewolf and there's a wheelchair. That's all I know. Yeah, that's right. That's and right. They well, got the it, that, that's correct. Yeah, it's based on the uh, the cycle of the werewolf novella by uh, Stephen King, of course. And, uh, I mean, I, it was filmed in Wilmington, so it's kind of in our backyard, about, uh, about two hours from you and about four hours from where I live. And so, uh, so, you know, it's a local, has some local color, as it were. And, uh, it was at that point in time when De Laurentiis was, uh, for whatever reason, he decided to buy some, some property in Winston, uh, Wilmington, rather, and start, uh, you know, making films there. And eventually he had his own studio, De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, which, folded within less than two years. Uh, but this was prior to that when he was uh, still working for a studio, but uh, he was making the films independently and then having them distributed by a studio, in this case, Paramount. So, um, yeah, this is, uh, I, you know, it, it got pretty bad reviews when it came out. I don't think that it's a a great film, but I don't think it's terrible either. Uh, I prefer, in, in terms of werewolf films, like The Howling and American Werewolf in London, I, I love the werewolf designs on those in those films much better uh, than what you get here but you know it's like i said and it's gary Busey. i mean you know we had our own running with gary Busey when you guys were little i took you to a uh autograph signing show and uh he was tip- typical gary Busey. he didn't disappoint us uh he was uh <laughs> all over the place uh but uh, when he was there yeah when he was there yeah he was there and then he wasn't there and he was just uh <laughs> So he's he's an interesting character, and his performances are equally interesting, shall we say. Well, we will move on to uh, one of the great films of the late 70s, Days of Heaven. I got a 4K release from Criterion. I have this on Blu-ray. This is a Paramount uh, title as well, but they licensed this one, of course, to Criterion. And uh, I know I don't think I've ever shown this one to you. Um, it was originally filmed uh, – Presented in 70 millimeter in a lot of its original screenings back in 78, and it's uh, it was the second film for Terrence Malick, who also made Badlands, and he's gone on to, and then he didn't make a movie for 20 years after Days of Heaven until he made uh, the Thin uh, the Thin Red Line in 1998, which had an all star cast in it. It was uh, uh, a World War II film. Uh, and so there was talk that he would never make another film. He was one of these mythical figures who, you know, made these two movies in the 70s and then wasn't heard from. And then suddenly he started uh, cranking out films in the uh, late 90s. And his pace, it's its interesting because now he's, he's in his 80s, I think. And his his pace has gotten faster as he gets older. Uh, so he's, he's probably done uh, in the last 10 years uh, three times the amount of films he did in the first – 10 years of his career. So uh, it's interesting, but anyway, days of it, but, but unfortunately he's gotten away from narrative filmmaking and it's just avant-garde to the point where it's distracting. And, but days of heaven is, is basically a love triangle uh, set at the turn of the century with uh, Richard Gere. And it's uh, just, it's really good. Uh, it's a really, really good film and it's a beautiful looking film. And I would, uh, the Blu-ray was quite stunning that I, uh, that they put out years ago. So I, I would like, to have the upgrade but it just didn't i didn't feel like it was essential but it would be nice to have it at some point but the, the blu-ray is is good enough for now but uh, i'm sure the 4k is as spectacular as you would expect it to be and um i often hear uh, brett easton ellis on his podcast talking about how this was a life-changing film for him when he saw it uh when it came out he was just 
gobsmacked, and, it, and nothing was ever the same after he saw Days of Heaven. So, uh, uh, and it is, it is good. I have to tell you. So, um, and I just, it's just, you know, there's only so much time, and I just never got around to showing it to you when you were younger. So, uh, yeah, Blast. What's that? I'm sorry. Go well, ahead. I was just gonna say that's one that I, I did have on my short list to pick up when the Criterion sale might roll around. Oh, so, you should. It's yeah, on my got- radar. It definitely should. It is a it is a beautiful film. It really is. It's uh, and it's short. It's like ninety minutes. Gets in, gets out. Doesn't belabor the point. I, I admire a film that uh, just you know. And his films have gotten increasingly longer too. That's the other bad thing. His like his first two movies are ninety minutes a pop, and as he's gotten older, it's like uh, two hours fifteen minutes, two hours thirty minutes, and it's just he's uh, uh, he's forgotten what uh, about that uh, that word uh, brevity. Uh, I think it's uh, as I think that word is. Exited his lexicon, but anyway, the color purple is another uh, 4K upgrade. Warner Brothers proper releasing this. No new extras, just the uh, you know the extras that we have previously been issued for the color purple. But uh, the color purple is, um, I think there's some moments of real beauty in this film. I don't think it's perfect. I saw this film in, I think it was February of '86. And it was the last film that I, my grandparents ever t- went to see. They want, they were talking about wanting to go see this movie when it came out. It was in contention for Oscar at the time and they, they kept talking about it. And I had recently gotten my license and, or, uh, no, I don't think I had my license because it came out in 85. So yeah, I think they had to drive. That's right. Cause I hadn't, it was the year I got my license, but I hadn't got it, gotten them yet. And so I said, I'll pay for you guys to get it your ticket to the movie if you'll uh if you'll just go you know let's all go and so i talked them into going to the movies and uh and we and that was the last movie they wound up ever going to see in a theater so i have fond memories of seeing that with my grandparents uh, the color of purple and uh there's a uh there's a there's a subplot about uh with um with uh um whoopi goldberg's character's sexuality that I, I I would love to go back and just see what my grandparents thought about that, <laughs> how they responded. From my viewpoint now, I would love to just be able to go back in time and time and see what they really thought about that because they came from that World War II generation, you know, and uh, it would have been interesting to hear their take on it. But um, they can be pretty open-minded about things at times, though, uh, especially my grandmother. She was very uh, progressive-minded about some things uh, when you just sit down and talk to her. So. Uh, so anyway, you never can tell. But uh, the color purple, uh, the problem I've always had with this film is that even though it does have moments of great beauty and it can bring a tear to your eyes, it has uh, real shifts in tone. Uh, it goes for the comedic at times, and then it all of a sudden gets really serious. And it's uh, it's Spielberg. It was his first attempt at a drama, and I don't think he had quite mastered that, you know, because he'd been doing, uh, you know, the Indiana Jones films and Close Encounters and Jaws, and he just, the drama... Thing just hadn't really. I think he did better with his uh, his uh, Empire of the Sun in 1987 was his next attempt at a drama that, and that's kind of along the same lines as Color Purple, but maybe a little bit better. But I don't really think he really truly found his footing with drama until Schindler's List in '93, and by that time he he really knew what he was doing. It was obvious. So, but uh, Color Purple, uh, I'm glad that it's a really good looking presentation. Uh, the uh, the uh, the megabytes per second are popping at around 80. You know, <laughs> so it's uh, it's high bit rates. Let's uh, let's say that. So uh, Blast of Silence is another Criterion uh, release that's been upgraded to 4K. This is a 
a cult, uh, I guess you'd call it a neo-noir. I've seen this. Uh, I think it's a mixed bag. It kind of has a, uh, uh, I, it's highly regarded in cult film circles. It's directed by Alan Barron, who would go on to direct episodes of Kolchak the Night Stalker, interestingly enough. Hmm. And, uh, he, he stars and wrote and directed the film. Uh, he's the, got the lead in it as well. And, uh, he basically plays a hitman who has been tasked with, uh, assassinating someone at uh, at Christmas time and he's not a Christmas person and so there's a lot of first person narration that takes you through the film about how his dislike of Christmas but yet he's got this job and everybody's happy but he's got to go uh, kill somebody and he's getting paid to do it and then he runs into an old girlfriend and then he starts thinking well maybe maybe I should just throw away this life and uh, not not make good on my job and he decides maybe he won't do it, and then when he makes that decision, then the people who hired him are coming after him, and it's it's an interesting movie. Uh, like I said, it was uh, uh, distributed by Universal. They kind of threw it away when it came out. It didn't, you know, just for years it just kind of languished, and then I think repertory screenings uh, started popping up, and people started seeing it, and they were like, you know, Blast of Silence. Well, this is an interesting movie, and it, and it is worth seeing. I, I do, I think it may be a little more highly regarded uh, than what it should be. It, may not be quite as good as people are saying it is, but but it is interesting, and especially if you like neo-noir. And uh, Alan Barron is, uh, he's an interesting, he's still around, by the way. Uh, he's way up in his 80s, maybe 90s by now. And I know on the Projection Booth podcast, they had him on when they did a show on Blast of Silence, and he was very cantankerous. Uh, it, it was awkward to hear him. Uh, <laughs> Mike White, the host of the show, was uh, questioning him about Blast of Silence, and it, he was it, he was so argumentative. It was very uncomfortable listening to it. So if anybody wants to hear uh, <laughs> an interview with Alan Barrett about this film, it's worth going back to listen to that if you can find it. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so Blast of Silence getting the 4K upgrade from uh, Criterion. And Stand By Me, getting a 4K upgrade. I know I showed that to you when you were uh, probably a teenager or something, but I don't know how much of, you, of it you remember. Stephen King adaptation, of course, again, another one. Yep. And, um, yeah, I, I think you might have watched it uh, on someone else then, because I remember watching it uh, around five or six. And okay, okay. Maybe I don't, that's what I don't, was, yeah. Just a ballpark estimate there. But yeah, yeah I, I, I know the premise, but I, yeah. one I need to rewatch. Sure. Yeah, that sounds about right now that you mention it. And I, I know the language, you know, a lot of people might be listening and they say, oh, you showed that to him when he was five or six. But, you know, the language is really the only offensive thing in this movie. There's not really anything else, uh, you know. And I felt it was easy enough for me to just say, now, you know, just because you heard those words, don't repeat them. <laughs> that was always our policy. But uh, <laughs> yes, you did. So uh, Stand By Me uh, is a... Uh, uh, getting the 4K treatment, and I have it on Blu-ray. I didn't get the uh, review copy of the uh, 4K, but uh, you know, uh, it's uh, it's it is out there from Sony and Babylon the Five, the complete series. Uh, I think that's a Warner Brothers release. The whole series, 1993 to 98, uh, getting a Blu-ray upgrade. I've never seen Babylon Five. I know a lot of people love it, so uh, I don't know. But and uh, Office Christmas Party from 2016, getting a 4K release. Uh, I'm not sure who the distributor is on that. We need to find out. That's Paramount, actually. Paramount, yes. Uh, put that out. And uh, The Kill Room from 2023, I believe that's a uh, yeah, that's a Shout Factory release. That's a 4K release. 
in Star Trek Strange New Worlds, 4K, uh, Season 2, uh, and um, Northern Exposure, the complete series. That's a universal release uh, from, I want to say, Mill Creek put that out. The universal Studios, actually, issuing that one. And then we have... Uh, Day of the Locust. You can talk a little bit about this. I got the review copy of this, and we watched this when you came for uh, Christmas holiday. So, uh, yep, we sure we'll discuss this a little bit. Uh, I'll let you take it. Yeah, and well, in terms of the presentation, I thought it looked it looked good, and that's something. Uh, but well, I'll, I'll just say it looked good, but it did seem to kind of have a almost a glisten or a shine, kind of a not glossy, but uh. Almost as if there was like a, a sheet of like flimsy plastic hung over the film when they went through and uh, scanned it for 4K. And you explained to me that this is just how it was filmed. So um, I don't know if you want to talk about that now or. Well, yeah, I could talk about it briefly. I, I mean, it was just um, the uh, cinematographer's Conrad Hall, and he was known for. Uh, he had a certain style. He's also the cinematographer mm-hmm. of such films as Cool Hand Luke and the Parallax View. I believe he shot that as well. No, no, he no, he didn't shoot Parallax View. I'm thinking of a. That's uh the guy um uh, the uh, uh gosh uh, cinematographer for the Godfather films, Gordon uh, Willis. Gordon Willis shot uh, Parallax View. But anyway, uh, Conrad Hall. I, he did in Cold Blood. I'm sorry, I'll get to it. So in Cold Blood, which you have seen, you saw that yep. when you were a teenager. But yeah, he's a very uh, his his films are very deliberately shot, and so I think there was a gauzy look to the film as he intended it because it takes place in the 30s and it's basically mm-hmm. about a uh, an actor a screenwriter like a a man gets into the movie business and it's all the assorted characters around him and their depressing lives that are contrasted to the people who are uh, you know there's always these. Uh, Everybody has these ideas that everybody's in the movie business is living high and everybody that that, um, lives in Hollywood is having this glamorous life. And this is just kind of a contrast of these are down and out people. (laughs) Yeah, I I was going to say it's kind of a it's kind of a um, upside down take of uh, Damien Chazelle's Babylon from 2022, which Mm -hmm. I I really enjoyed. And Mm -hmm. that film's like showing the the opulence and just the, all the positives of Hollywood that it has to offer, like you're saying. And they're kind of around the same time period uh, the films take place. And this kind of shows the opposite side and like the, the gruff like underbelly of those like trying to make ends meet and just multiple characters that just are really struggling out here trying to make it in show business because for every one person that makes it, there's ten more that don't. So, um. Yeah, the the movie I I thought it was good. I know this is one of your you you highly regard it, and I could see why. But for me, the the standout performance and just the the story, I guess the character I gravitate towards most, and he isn't even a main character per se. But Donald Sutherland's character is great here, and uh, I'm also one of my favorite actors, I would say in general. Uh, but I won't spoil the finale of the film or anything. But it definitely. <laughs> It builds to a crescendo, and it's it's something to behold. So that's all I'll say. <laughs> Packs a bit of a wallop, I would say. It does. So, yeah, I didn't see it coming. The original, the first time I saw it, uh, it's kind of a the movie's kind of. I mean, it's not. It's never calm. There's always something bubbling under the surface. You know, something's not quite right, but you're not quite prepared for that last half hour. I wasn't. <laughs> and when I originally saw it, my jaw just dropped. I thought, 
Oh my gosh, uh, this is where it's going. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's something. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, as the old saying goes, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. But uh, yeah, it it does pay off. You, it, it's a very uh, the the film is a little overlong. I would say if there's a, a quibble to be made. Two hours, 25 minutes, and it, uh, we, you and I discussed it that one of the characters played by Burgess Meredith probably could have been eliminated, mm-hmm. uh, with some, you know, they're, they're, they could have worked around that. It's, uh, his, his character really doesn't serve a purpose other than to introduce the Donald Sutherland and Karen Black characters. Uh, he serves as an introduction to those two. But other than that, uh, not really, uh, a reason for him to, to, uh, I mean, he he could have been trimmed and nobody would have missed him. So, uh, yeah. But uh, anyway, well, he was great. Yeah, he he's in, yeah he's terrific in the movie. I mean, yeah, he's uh he's he, he's he has a wry sense of humor, as we shall say, kind of a gallows sense of humor that makes you laugh <laughs> at very dark moments in the movie. But uh, but yeah, I I there's a 5.1 audio uh, restoration for the first time on this. And John Barry, you know, the uh, John of the uh, James Bond films does the score. And I think it's just a, a lovely, elegant score uh, that I, I've been a fan of ever since I first saw this movie. And I have the uh, there's a limited edition soundtrack uh, issued years ago that I do have. And occasionally I'll just go out for a walk and I'll put on the soundtrack from Day of the Locust because it's just it's so melodic and beautiful. And I just really like it a lot. Uh, it just uh just it's just nice to listen to sometimes when I hear it. And uh, actually, Paul Williams took the uh, the love theme from the film and he added lyrics to it. And uh, it's on one of his albums. It's called Lonely Hearts. And it's not the the vocal version is obviously not in the film because he there's no you know opportunity for anybody to sing the theme from the film. But on his album, he opted to add uh, lyrics uh, for one of his albums. He opted to add lyrics, and so it's. That's an interesting curio. Uh, you can find it out there. So, um, anyway, so we'll move to a couple of uh, other things here. I don't know if you know about this one. We didn't discuss this one, but it's uh, something that uh, I knew about earlier this uh, last year, and I'd forgotten about it, and then suddenly was reminded when it came up on the list, A Disturbance in the Force, How the Star Wars Holiday Special Happened. And it's a uh, 90-minute documentary about the... Uh, <laughs> How the holiday Star Wars holiday special came to be, and uh, yeah, I, we, I didn't hear about that one. Yeah, it's getting great reviews, and um, they've uh, basically interviewed everybody who's uh, around who was who involved in this. And I am old enough that I can tell you for a fact that I was there. It's the film. I mean, the uh, the special aired one time only. It was on a Friday night before Thanksgiving, 1978, and I was there. I watched because <laughs> I had seen Star Wars in a theater the year before. And so back in those days, we knew it was three years until the next Star Wars film. So we just wanted – it's like, throw us a crumb. Throw us anything. We, You know, we just – we want something to whet our appetites for the next movie. And so this was this was all we got, you know, because this was in the days when nobody had a VCR. And so it's like, oh, there's a Star Wars holiday special? and. Uh, you know, when you're eight years old, which I was, you know, I'm sure I just glossed over all of the flaws of it, you know, because <laughs> I remember not thinking it was that bad at all. And then I went back and watched it in my 30s uh, because, you know, for years it was out of circulation. Then it started turning up in bootlegs. And boy, was it it was worse than I could have ever imagined. I thought, God, <laughs> it's really bad. Uh, but um, 
It's, uh, you know, it's directed by, the special was directed by Steve Bender, who directed uh, the Elvis comeback special from 68 and uh, so many things. If you look at his resume, man, it's it's incredible. And he's still around. He's in his 90s now. Uh, but he's in the film as well. Uh, but I have a copy of this. I did get it when I heard about it. I said, oh, I got to have that. So I got it. Uh, I'm, in fact, when we finish taping this, that's my agenda tonight is to watch this. So um, uh, I can't wait to uh, sink my teeth into it. Because, yeah, that's uh, let me know how that goes. Yeah, it sounds good to me. That's, I think it's right up my alley. So anyway, uh, the distributor on this, just for people who are interested, uh, just want to let people know that's Allied 5 is the distributor, and you can get that. Uh, it's uh, getting currently getting a 7.2 on IMDb, and so it's uh, it, it's supposed to end. Uh, again, on the projection booth, they had interviewed the director of this film a couple uh, back in the springtime of last year. That's how I first became aware of it. But so many things come and go, and you forget about them. And so this was one of those I'd kind of forgotten about. So until I saw it, and I thought, oh yeah, got to see that. So uh, the Quester tapes is a TV movie directed, uh, written by Gene Roddenberry of Star Trek fame. And it's about this uh, doctor develops uh, plans to build an android superhuman. And uh, he disappears. And then half of the programming uh, tape that he created was erased in an attempt to decode it. His former colleagues continued the project and finally succeed in creating his uh, project, Questor. So uh, anyway, I never saw this, but uh, I remember hearing about it. And, uh, you know, Gene Roddenberry being the creator of Star Trek, that, that was the big selling point for this one. But it's 1974. You get to Mike Farrell from the MASH TV series is in this and uh, John Vernon from uh, Animal House. Of course, he's Dean Wormer and Robert Foxworth. They're all in this uh, this uh, TV movie that uh, is fairly, fairly well regarded. You know, so the Quester Tapes is a keynote release. I think there's a new commentary there. Uh, uh, Sandpiper Pictures is a uh, independent um, distributor that's picked up the rights to some of these Twilight Time titles that went out of print. And I'll mention a couple of these. There's Break-In, Break-In 2, Electric Boogaloo, um, Blackula has been reissued by Sandpiper Pictures, and Thunder Road from 1958 starring Robert Mitchum, and that's a film about bootlegging uh, alcohol, and it takes place in North Carolina, in the uh, mountains of North Carolina. So uh, that uh, <laughs> subject near and dear to our hearts. Um, so <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, Thunder Road was a uh, actually had a hit song from the film, or it wasn't a huge hit, but it was it charted. Uh, Robert Mitchum does the, the he he belts out the theme from the film, uh, which I think I may have it on a forty five around here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we'll move along. Uh, Tokyo Pop is a, a 1988 film starring a, the late Carrie Hamilton, who was the daughter of uh, Carol Burnett. And it's about a uh, a rocker named Wendy who's disillusioned with her life in New York City. And she receives a postcard from Japan saying, wish you were, her, were here. And she spontane- spontaneously hops on a plane to Tokyo with dreams of making it big as a singer. And uh, like I said, uh, Carrie Hamilton died uh, fairly young of lung cancer. Uh, she was uh, that was that's one of the great tragedies of I know of Carol Burnett's life. She's talked about it many times. But uh, this was uh, got really good reviews when it came out, and that's uh, it was an a, a, um, official selection at the Cannes Film Festival of '88. I I remember when it was uh, when it was out there, and I I just never did get around to seeing it. And 
I didn't get around to it before we did this show yet, but it's uh, on the to-do list. It's a Kino Lorber release, and uh, there's no extras that I can see on this, but it's a new restoration of uh, Tokyo Pop from 1988. Uh, here's another Kino release that I did watch, uh, back to uh, James Cameron. We'll talk about uh, the, the all all roads lead to James Cameron. And <laughs> this episode, it seems like, because his wife is the star of this film, Susie Amis, who uh, also is in Titanic, of course. And she's the lead in The Ballad of Little Joe from 1993. And this is an interesting little movie. Uh, it's very low-key, but it's about a uh, a woman, played by Susie Amis, who has a child out of wedlock, and her family basically shuns her and takes the baby away from her. And so uh, she's got no place to live, and they're ashamed of her. So, And she realizes being a woman in the 1800s is not a a good thing probably so she poses as a man uh and moves to a small town and starts her own little uh, business there and it's about the the things that happened to her uh in the uh, her her life in this small community posing as a man and like i said it's kind of low key uh but very there's some interesting plot turns uh there is a a, a, a uh an Asian character who comes into the film and figures out who she is, that she, that she's really, that he is a she, and falls in love with her. And so that's an interesting subplot. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I I think it's interesting. I'm not something I, sure it's something that I want to return to multiple times, but uh, it, was, it was definitely a curio. And I remember hearing about it uh, back in 93 when it came out, but just never saw it till now. And uh, there's a new commentary by the director, an interview with Susie Amis, and a trailer and a brand new HD master for my 4K scan. It looks great, by the way, I might say. So, um, Ballad of Little Joe. And so we're moving along, uh, to, uh, December the 12th. We're moving along. And uh, Mandalorian complete seasons one and two. Disney putting those out, or is that, uh, just one season? I think, uh, actually, I, I think it's the first and second. Yeah, okay, first and second. Okay, I'm yep. yeah, I'm seeing two separate packages here, but I'm uh yeah, I think you're right. So anyway, those have uh you know, for those who were clamoring for some uh Disney Plus TV shows to come to disc, well, finally got their wish with uh, the Mandalorian complete se- seasons 1 and 2 and I hear the uh picture qu- transfer is quite stunning on these. Uh I didn't get review copies, so I don't know. Uh Clue is uh based on the board game Parker Brothers board game, of course, and when the film came out in theaters, depending on which theater you saw it in, uh, you could see it. Uh, it had three different endings, and how the film ended depended on where you saw it, and that was a big uh, selling point for this film. And the uh, the new 4K release from is part of the Shout Select line of titles from Shout Factory, and it has all three of the endings on it, uh, so you can uh, program it. Uh, so I guess you could watch the film three separate times, and or and I think there's a there's a setting on it where you can randomly program it, and you don't know which ending is going to come up, so you just have to wait till you get to the uh, the end of the film. But uh, anyway, I've never seen Clue. I know it has a cult following. Uh, I didn't see it when it came out, um, and didn't you know? Just uh, I, I would be curious after all these years to see what the big hubbub is about it and why people are, love it so much. But uh, it there are quite a few people who do love it, so. Uh, Face Off is a uh, 4K upgrade. Oh, and there's there's a few new extras on the Clue uh, 4K uh, upgrade, by the way. Uh, Face Off is a, another Kino release. That's uh, John Travolta, Nicolas Cage. I don't think you ever got around to seeing this one. I don't believe, did you? I or? did not, but I, I definitely want to. 
Oh, you need to. Yeah, I know you're a Nicolas Cage fan, and you, yep. this is this is one of the essential Nicolas Cage performances. He's basically pretending to be John Travolta and vice versa, and uh, they switch faces literally. Uh, <laughs> it uh, it gets interesting. Uh, there's some some. I saw this in the theater when it came out, and I was uh, it came out the same summer as Con Air. They came out within weeks of each other, and I saw them both and liked them both quite a bit. So. Uh, I, uh, this is John Woo, of course, the uh, famous Asian director who just uh, put out recently another film, Silent. Uh, what was it Silent, Silent Night, Night? I think it was the, yep. Yeah, that's his latest one. Uh, but you know, he did some great stuff in the uh, late '80s, early '90s with the uh, with the uh, the Killer and uh, Hard Boiled and Bullet in the Head. Those are fantastic. So uh, Face Off was uh, probably the biggest success he had as an American director. They they didn't quite know what to do with him as an American director, and they uh, he was much better, more adept at uh, Asian films, as it were. So, uh, but Face Off's probably his high mark as an as an Americanized version of himself, um, I would say. So uh, yeah, I didn't get the 4K on this uh, because I already had the uh, Blu-ray, and it, it's pretty good and. I just didn't want to uh, abuse my privileges of uh, getting asking for too much from Kino because they've been so good to me. So I decided to, uh, since I already had it on blue, just uh, keep that one. But uh, maybe if it's on sale at some point, I'll I'll upgrade because I hear it's really good. This is another Paramount release that they've uh, licensed to Kino. So the creator has been issued in 4K. I think that's a Lionsgate uh, release, I believe. Now you saw this in the theater, I believe. I think didn't you? Or yeah, it's it's a uh, actually a 20th Century Pictures or okay, Studios, Pictures. whichever they. Okay, yeah. I was looking at the wrong. Um, yeah, you're right. Yep. So yeah, I did see it in theaters, and it's mine. It was my number three of last year. Um, personally, I'm a big fan of sci-fi, and I'm also I'm interested in kind of history of warfare and things of that nature. So this movie kind of kind of met all those interests for me and kind of uh, spooled them together. And I'm also interested in uh, technology and things like that and just the change of changes in society uh, that you can examine and such. And this film has a lot to offer in terms of commentary on just the history of U.S. involvement and in different places and how, you know, perhaps we didn't, need to necessarily be engaged in certain places overseas. And it's a, a futuristic look of what uh, warfare might look like for the U.S., given the rise of artificial intelligence and kind of a sentient, uh, conscious artificial intelligence that everyone is so concerned about now in the media. And so so there's lots of commentary on both warfare and, you know, like I said, U.S. involvement. And then also there's commentary uh, on once again, the artificial intelligence, and it's the name of the creator because someone created the artificial intelligence. And for so, in general, I think uh, it is a, a pretty solid movie to watch. For me, it's a little higher, so uh, just because of my passions and interest for it. But uh, overall, the the performance by John David Washington was uh, really solid. Uh, Denzel Washington's son, and I personally appreciated the originality of this film. And it's very fresh and it's backed by Disney, which is refreshing as well. So um, perhaps 20th Century Studios was already bankrolling it to b- before they merged. But anyways, Disney put it out. So that's that's refreshing that they're doing something different there. And the, the only thing I'll say negative about the film, I didn't. The ending was a little uh, 
kind of fizzled out for me. That wasn't exactly what I was looking for. But overall, lots of uh, very thought-provoking and original, so it, it's up to my number three for, for last year. But lots of competition. So, yeah, those are my quick takes. Well, that sounds like a pretty glowing recommendation, I would say. So, uh, yeah, I didn't get around to seeing it when it was out in theaters, and so uh, I uh, I need to. I, I really need to because I, I keep hearing things about it, uh, and they're all mostly good. So, uh, yeah, I uh, I think uh, that's 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 something that I need to investigate. I would say. So, uh, yeah, let's see, uh, moving along with other things. Yeah, uh, we have the Looney Tunes Collector's Choice, Volume 2. That's a Warner Archive release. Uh, now, of course, this is the second volume of Looney Tunes cartoons we've had in the calendar year of 2023, and supposedly there's a third one on the way. These have done pretty well, I think. Um, the first collection was two hours and 20 minutes, I think. This one is a whopping three hours and three minutes of... Uh, <laughs> I think it's uh, 25 titles on this one, and there's some that uh, uh, they've been requested by collectors and connoisseurs, and uh, there's a lot of these that have been uh, rarely seen, and I still haven't I haven't finished the first collection, much less getting into this one. Uh, there's still probably three or four on the other one, uh, but I hope to uh, dive in soon. But uh, you get a, a, a fair sampling of just about all the characters, uh, you know, and there's uh, Sylvester and Tweety and Foghorn and Leghorn and Roadrunner and all that, you know. So, uh, But the sample of some of the cartoons that are here are Caddy Cornered and Ding Dog Daddy and From Hand to Mouse and Greetings Bait, Hamateur Night. Hairbreadth, Hurry, uh, The Rebel Without Claws, The Wacky Worm, those are a few. So, uh, yeah, Lickety Splat. So, uh, yeah, uh, Looney Tunes Collector's Choice Volume 2, and uh, I'm so glad they're doing these because I, I'm a fan, of course. Uh, and so The Wailing was an Asian horror film that uh, got pretty good reviews. 2016 it came out. I uh, saw it back then and thought it was pretty good from what I remember, but I, I've forgotten a lot of it. Uh, it's gotten a 4K upgrade, and I think that uh, the company, that's a well-go USA doing the releasing honors on that. And Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio got a 4K release. That's the uh, one that was made for Netflix last year, and uh, Criterion putting that out with some new extras there. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, uh, released in 4K from Paramount. I don't know if you uh, saw that or even have a desire to see it, but uh, oh no, <laughs> did not. <see> it. I, <laughs> I didn't think you did. Uh, some people are saying, you know, this is the best of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yeah, films. I've, I've heard good and, things. Yeah, that's a, a very low bar, ladies and gentlemen. Let's just say that. <laughs> I remember being dragged to seeing uh, my my late friend uh, Monty Woodruff, who dragged me to a, a theater in February of. February or March of 1990, I think it was, we saw the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He was into that sort of thing. I was not, and I hated every single second of it. Uh, he was clearly having a much better time than I was. Uh, but uh, had, had, it, had I not been with a friend, I wouldn't have been going at all. I can tell you that. And, I, <laughs> and that's considered, that's looked fondly. Uh, most people look uh, with fond nostalgia at the 1991 that I hated so much. So, Definitely not for me, I would say, but 
Anyway, uh, weird, the Al Yankovic story, we can talk a little bit about this, getting a 4K physical release, uh, originally streamed on Roku, made specifically for streaming, and getting uh, some few new extras here. Uh, this was, uh, highly reviewed and, uh, but I, I don't think you nor I really understood why because, uh, we're big fans of UHF. We think Weird Al's, uh, 1989 film is pretty funny of its type. We, we laugh a lot every time we watch it. And, uh, those expecting, uh, something similar to UHF, well, you're going to be disappointed, I think, because, uh, I didn't think the laughs were there. I thought this was, uh, you know, it's just... An attempt to do the Weird Al Yankovic story, but they're they're kind of parodying the uh, biopic, uh, the music biopic, but they're 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 exaggerating it so ridiculously that it just doesn't. And if you know anything about Weird Al's real life, which I do, uh, that even that makes it even worse. And uh, and the jokes just aren't funny uh, for yeah. a lot of the time. I mean, that's the biggest problem. I just didn't think it was funny. I didn't laugh. And I was shocked at how little I laughed. And so uh, uh, the picture quality is, uh, you know, it's good, 4K. It's shot digitally and all that stuff. And if you're a fan of it, who's to argue? But uh, just not my cup of tea. So, and, or yours either, yeah. I don't believe. Yeah, and I have to agree. It, yeah. I was going to say, I, I typically, I'm one that, even if I'm not really enjoying a movie too much, I, I like to finish it, see it through, because, you know, perhaps the ending will change my mind or, you know, uh, just you know, I can still get something out of it. But mm-hmm. this, I think, last year, 2022, yeah, whenever this came out, it it was just, uh, it, I think it might have been maybe one or like two movie one one of two movies that I did not finish that I started that year. So I think that should say something to for from me because uh, I did I didn't want to give it the full chance because. Like you said, I just didn't find it funny, and I was actually excited. I was like, oh, I'm going to learn something here, and there's going to be, you know, just Weird Al's normal humor is going to be in there first, and he's he's also behind it creatively, but it's it just wasn't what I was looking for. And uh, some people love it, and it, like, like you said, it's got great reviews, so maybe it's for you, but not for us. Nope, definitely not. And uh, sad to say, I had high expectations for this one, so... Anyway, uh, but nevertheless, Shout has done the releasing honors on it. So uh, if you're a fan, it's out there on physical media. And, you know, it is good to, that these streaming movies are getting a physical release uh, because they could get just lost. And that would be a terrible thing. So so there is that. There, the, so for that, 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 I'm glad. The Man from Nowhere is a 2010 um, film. It's a... Uh, an Asian uh, crime thriller being released by Wellgo for the first time in 4K. And uh, the uh, Bollywood Horror Collection, that's a uh, collect- obviously a collection of uh, Indian horror films from Mondo Macabro. Mondo Macabro. And we have Five Nights at Freddy's in 4K. And I just know that that's one of your favorite films of this <laughs> year. I, I say sarcastically. I, <laughs> I did not see it. Um didn't hear great things about it either, but it did good money. Yes, it did. It did, did quite well. Um, I didn't see it either. It's not for me, based on a video game, of course, Universal releasing. And it did. Uh, it's one of those rare films that was released day and date on streaming and in the theaters and did well on, on both. Uh, in, in both. So that usually yep. doesn't happen. So what do uh, you know? They, they've started on a sequel. Yeah, I'm sure they have. <laughs> 
Well, uh, we'll move along to uh, Oscar-winning films. Uh, Warner Archive has released the Oscar-winning The Great Ziegfeld from 1936. This was the winner for Best Picture that year. Three hours and three minutes this is. And it's the uh, the biopic of theatrical impresario Florence Ziegfeld Jr. And uh, you get uh, special features, a featurette on Ziegfeld on film, uh, the premiere newsreel, vintage cartoon, a theatrical trailer. Yeah, this is uh, this is quite the spectacular uh, of its time. 1936. You usually didn't see three-hour movie biopics around that time, but uh, yeah, this is um, this is one of them. So uh, one of the rare ones, I would say. Uh, nowadays, that's uh, that's pretty normal, standard operating procedure. But are for the course. Yep, exactly. So Suspect Zero is a 4K release from uh, Kino, rather. Uh, it's uh, kind of a low-rent seven, I would say. <laughs> I've never seen this film. I don't even remember it, and it came out in 2004. It came and went in a couple of weeks, and I think I completely missed it. Aaron Eckhart, uh, Ben Kingsley, Carrie Ann Moss from the Matrix films, and it's uh, basically about a, uh, a a series of killings that Aaron Eckhart, he's an agent. He thinks that uh, there's a killer going around uh, killing uh, these people randomly. And then he finds out that the people who are dying were killers themselves. So somebody's taking out all of these uh, serial killers. And he, it it's, uh, has some twists. And I don't want to say too much. Ben Kingsley, as I said, is the uh, is is in this uh Originally, it was based on a script by uh, Zach Penn that was rewritten by Billy Ray, and I'm told the original screenplay was much, much stronger than the rewritten version that uh, actually was filmed. Uh, it was one of those scripts that was making its way around Hollywood, and everybody said, oh, this is great. This needs to be made into a movie, and then when it finally was, it was watered down. So anyway, uh, I saw it. The quality on this disc is spectacular, uh, and the 4K and the audio uh, but uh, the, the actual film itself is, yeah, uh, it's it's a little low rent. But, uh, you know, there are fans. What can I tell you? So that's a keynote release. Another keynote release is The Man Who Wasn't There, a uh, 3D comedy from 1983 when they were making comedies with lots of copious amounts of nudity and uh, things like that. And <laughs> this one is, uh, it earns its R rating for that, if nothing else. But it's basically... Uh, Steve Gutenberg from Police Academy, of course, in Short Circuit, and he stumbles upon a an invisibility formula, and he's people are after him trying to get it, and uh, hijinks ensue, as they say. Uh, the 3D effects uh, on this, and this 3D uh, edition is uh, has a uh, commentary by um, Paul Kurup of Ken Exploitation and film historian Jason Pichonsky. It includes a 2D, a BD, 3D polarized, and anoglyphic. anoglyphic 3D version. That's the one with the uh, the glasses, the uh, the the, uh, the 3D glasses, and the uh, polarized is what you get on your TV or your projector, uh, depending. But I watched this. There aren't a lot of 3D effects in this film, uh, so it doesn't take advantage of the 3D uh, that a lot of films of this type type were doing around that time. There's a there was a rebirth of 3D films in the early 80s. They went away for about 30 years, and then there was a rebirth and this was during that second rebirth, and there was a third one, of course, when you were about 10, 11 years old, as you remember, I'm yep. sure. So uh, this was the second phase of it, and uh, it's, you know, there are occasional chuckles in the film, but uh, it's I, ha I remember when it came out, and I had never seen it until now, 40 years later, and so I finally got my, cho my chance, and 
it was, uh, I can't say that it was good, but, you know, mild chuckles here and there, but, uh, if you're looking for great 3D effects, you're not really going to see a lot of, uh, anything on display except for just dimensionality in the picture. Um, you know, you, you get that 3D effect, but anyway, School Days is a, um, uh, Spike Lee's second film from 1988. That's, uh, 4K upgrade on that from Sony. I had not seen this film. It was coming on the two years after his uh, first film, She's Gotta Have It, and a year before his film that would really make him uh, put him on the map, Do the Right Thing, which you have seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not like School Days. I had never seen it, and I really kind of wish I hadn't. It's, it's really not a good film. Uh, it's amazing that he got uh, anybody to invest in this film because uh, the script couldn't have been that strong anybody reading it would have seen its uh, fail its its flaws immediately i think and uh i i guess he was just coasting on the strength of his first film because it got such high notices but man this is not not good it's uneven and there are musical sequences that aren't really good and it's just uh there's a message buried in there somewhere but it just it never just it never comes together and and on top of that it's two hours and seven minutes and i was just Really, really uh, not not pleased with School Days. And Spike Lee has made some great films, Malcolm X and Do the Right Thing, as we said, and um, Jungle Fever, and we could go on and on, Black Klansman, of course, and but this is not one of them. So Anyway, the biopic of uh, Jackson Pollock, uh, Pollock from 2000, which was the directing debut of Ed Harris, who, uh, you know, of The Abyss and Right Stuff and many other films, uh, this was his directorial debut and uh, making its Blu-ray debut from Sony. You get uh, Ed Harris commentary, Charlie Rose interview with Ed Harris, four deleted scenes, making a Pollock. But yeah, this is uh, the uh, the biopic of that uh, that great artist, and uh, got it was very well reviewed and uh, Academy Award winner for Marcia Gay Harden for Best Supporting Actress, and Ed Harris got the Best Actor nominee, but he didn't win for Pollock. But it's uh, it has been issued by Sony and Blu-ray. And uh, The Red Balloon and Other Stories is a collection of five films by Albert Lamarie's. Several of these are Oscar winners. Uh, there's Bim, The Little Donkey, White Mane, and the Oscar-winning Red Balloon, of course. 287 minutes of short films from this director, 1951 to 1965. And there's uh, quite a few new extras here. Uh, English language versions of some of these films, uh, new interviews, documentary, uh, French TV interviews with the director, English narrations uh, by Jack Lemmon on one of these. So the Red Balloon is a, uh, and five other, and other stories rather, is a new collection from Criterion that was released during the month. And the Quater Bass Experiment, or also known as the Creeping Unknown, has previously been issued by Kino. This has been uh, reissued with a slipcase. And it has a uh, on-camera interview with John Carpenter, who is a big fan of this film. In fact, the uh, the writer of the film uh, that was Nigel Neal, who wrote the uh, the original television play that it was based on. He was the uncredited writer of Halloween Three. So, uh, yeah, that's a little trivia there for you. But the Quatermass Experiment is basically a a ship crashes, and there's an alien inside that uh, takes possession of uh, this man's body and. He drives him to murder, and it led to a whole series of films, Quatermass 2 and Quatermass in the Pit, and there's a whole series of those that go all the way through the 1970s, but this was the first one. And uh, Quatermass Experiment. 
And there's a couple of uh, Warner Archive titles. We'll run through these real fast. We've got Tarzan the Ape Man from 1932. This is the first of the Johnny Weissmuller Tarzan films. Uh, you got Gentleman Jim from 1942, starring Errol Flynn. And uh, that's uh, Greta Garbo and Anna Christie from 1930. And you have Madame Bovary from 1949. And that... Uh, that stars Jennifer Jones and James Mason and uh, Louis Jordan, who would go on to play the uh, the villain later in uh, Octopussy and Swamp Thing. So it's amazing he was making films in 1949 and was still going at it almost 40 years later. So uh, <laughs> impressive. Yep, pretty pretty impressive. Yes, The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz is a uh, one of the early film roles for Richard Dreyfuss, early lead roles. It's a Fun City Editions. They put out some really interesting films, and it's basically about an enterprising, enterprising young Jew with big dreams, but little going on, you know, coming from a motherless family and in competition with his medical school-bound brother. This always got uh, good reviews. I think it's been held up in release because of the music rights, but they, I guess they, uh, they, fig- they figured all that out. It's got Randy Quaid in it as well, and Denham Elliott, uh, who was also in the uh, uh, two of the Indiana Jones films. And of course, as I said, Richard Dreyfus and Jack Warden, the great character actor of Jack Warden. So uh, I uh, I didn't get a disc of this, but I did get a digital copy of it. They sent me that. They ran out of the disc. So I I want to uh, want to watch this film. I've always wanted to see it. So uh, 1974, and then uh, Hail Caesar from 1994 is an MBD release. Uh, that is. Uh, uh, Caesar's would-be rock star, but for now he works at a pencil eraser factory. Anthony Michael Hall directs, yes, Anthony Michael Hall from um, those uh, John Hughes comedies, of course. You just mentioned one, Weird Science, earlier, and and he also stars in it. And Samuel L. Jackson and Robert Downey Jr. That's an interesting cast for <laughs> Hail Caesar from 1994. MVD, uh, 19, yeah, 1994. That's uh, MVD Visual. And then we have, uh, let's see, Goodbye Dragon Inn. That is a Kino Lorber release. Uh, in, um, that's uh, an Asian film directed by Za Ming Liang. And, uh, this is, uh, I think it's, uh, I, I think it's just Kino proper, not Kino, uh, studio classics. But, uh, new commentary on that, Goodbye Dragon Inn. And um, let's see, we're getting closer to the end here. Uh, we're getting down to the last day. Yeah, well, not quite the last day, but uh, December 19th, uh, we've got uh, another Stephen King adaptation, The Dead Zone in 4K from Scre- Shout Factory, Screen Factory, I believe it is, yeah. And uh, I have the uh, Blu-ray they released uh, two or three years ago that they did, and it was uh, terrific quality, and I hear this is even better. No new extras, I don't think. Uh, maybe a new commentary, I'm not sure, but uh, mostly just a new picture upgrade. But uh, uh, Stephen King's Dead Zone is one of my favorite film adaptations of his works. Uh, I don't know if you remember this or not. Uh, I don't know how, how well uh, you... Yeah, I, I remember some of it and the, the big plot points and such, but mm-hmm. uh, it's definitely one I would want to pick up, but I would wait for a sale for, for me. Um, mm-hmm. But... And I, I think I might have it on DVD, to be honest. But, you know, 4K would, you know, be a nice upgrade. And it, it's it's kind of got those, once again, political, almost science fiction elements mixed in. And that those are kind of the movies that speak to me. So uh, mm-hmm. definitely one of those that's up there for me. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. The Dead Zone is uh, I, David Cronenberg, of course, directing. So uh, yeah, what, not 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 your typical David Cronenberg film either. I would say so. No. So uh, anyway, uh, The Exorcist Believer has been issued in 4K from Universal. This was one of the big financial disappointments of the fall. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, starts out well enough. I think the first 45 minutes of it are fairly compelling. And then it just, once Ellen Burstyn shows up, they just use her as a, uh, just for, for a cheap scare, essentially. And it, it, it degenerates from there. So, uh, you know, uh, it, it didn't do well. And I don't know that it's supposed to be the beginning of a trilogy. I'm not so sure about that. But anyway, if you uh, want, if you're an exorcist completist, there you go. Uh, Avatar 4K and Avatar The Way of Water in 4K. Uh, they've uh, reissued uh, Way of Water in a new edition and the original. I think the uh, the longer cut of the film has finally been issued in 4K for the first time in this new set. These are Disney releases, of course. And then we have uh, Columbo, seasons 1 through 7, the 1970s. This collects all of the Columbo episodes from the 70s. This was a, uh, a new set from Kino that uh, caused a little controversy because they had a bunch of previously announced extras that didn't come to fruition due to, uh, I think, legal issues. And But these are these are great, uh, you know, this is great 70s television. I've seen all of these episodes uh, at some point. And these are new 4K uh, remasters by NBC Universal. And, uh, you know, at least one of them is directed by Steven Spielberg. So there's that. Uh, and then you get the uh, original, you know, you get the uh, the 60, 1968 movie of the week that introduced uh, Peter Falk as the character. And then you get the 1971 pilot and you get a 71 minute short, shorter version of one of the episodes, Etude in Black. And you get an episode guide booklet. And uh, as a bonus, this is really cool. I think uh, you get uh, a, an isolated music and effects track. And a lot of these scores are terrific uh, by Billy Goldenberg, who did a lot of 70s television. And uh, they've never been issued commercially. And so now you can hear them isolated. I think that's just it's really good. So I, I was delighted to get this. I can't wait for the 80s set to come out in the uh, springtime. I think it's supposed to, to be coming out, I hope. So, uh, yeah, and we you can talk about these next two releases, The Warriors in 4K uh, from oh, yeah. Arrow. Well, as I mentioned earlier when we first got started, The Warriors is definitely up there for I, – I, I don't have an official listing or anything, but it's definitely up there in the top five somewhere um, in terms of best release of the year for me that I have purchased. Um, I picked up this movie. Personally, I got the – they have a – a big era exclusive box set on the website. And I don't typically splurge on any of the big box sets or special editions or anything, but I did it with this one because I have a, a fond connection to the film with you. And I remember us looking through a pawn shop uh, at various things, but movies being one of them. And I remember we stumbled upon, this is back when we just had DVDs and maybe Blu-rays were in their infancy, but we stumbled upon uh, the Warriors out in the wild, and it was out of print, and you were super excited. And I remember we uh, I, we rushed home and you know put it on or something like that. To the, maybe it was a couple of years later. I don't know if I was old enough, but uh, we watched the Warriors, and I just have a, a connection there with the film, and uh, it, it is an enjoyable movie. I think it's about a four out of five for me. Uh, if I had to rate it, it there's a lot to you know, just enjoy about it. It's obviously based off a comic book and it has a, has a consistent, uh, 
it's just kind of a, a nice hangout movie that you can, you know, uh, take in and just, you know, watch these, this gang try to, try to survive just this one night. And since it takes place at the night, uh, at night, it's, it's definitely made for 4K, I would say. And, uh, it takes, I was listening to, uh, some of the extras, uh, earlier today, actually. And there's an exclusive interview with the director, Walter Hill. And he was talking about it taking place in kind of this twilight time of New York and how New York is underfunded and, uh, they, they, their public safety is kind of, as I said, underfunded and there's not enough cops on the street. And there was just a lot of fear and, uh, of kind of gang violence rising up at this time. But he, what he wanted to show with this film was the kind of, uh, the, the reality of the situations of the people that are in those gangs. The gangs aren't necessarily violent or, uh, ev- they don't have evil intents, but rather they're, they're just more about safety and protecting their own people within their own turf. And it, it rises out of the lack of public safety and policing and just resources in general. And there's really a lot to unpack, uh, on class here as well, if you wanted to dig into that. But beyond that, it's just an entertaining film, like I said. And it's definitely got this 70s vibe to it as well, which is enjoyable. And, oh, one one more interesting thing I'll, I'll note from the uh, special features that I was watching. They apparently, they were having trouble getting this film uh, to get financed. And they build this to Paramount as a... Uh, Another Saturday Night Fever is what he said, (laughs) because it came out shortly after and they were trying. And basically the only connection was that there was people from Brooklyn is what he said. But that's how they build it to Paramount. And they were like, "Okay, we want that. So that that was kind of funny to hear. Um, And also this has a Dolby Atmos track, which sounded I have just have a soundbar that simulates it. But I know you watched it as well, but I thought it sounded great. There's a lot of scenes with trains and there's one scene with a helicopter where the police are trying to locate gang members. And it felt like the helicopter was right behind me. It felt like the trains were moving all around me. So just a, a really great AV and also visual experience, like I said, overall. So, yeah, definitely glad I, I tried. I decided to splurge on this one. Oh, yeah, it's uh, I, I got my review copy and watched it uh, early December and was really impressed. I I do have the uh, Dolby Atmos, of course, and I was able to take full advantage of it. And man, it really uh really sounded terrific. I I loved it, and the uh, the the video presentation was equally good. There's just enough. They don't go crazy with the grain, but there's just enough to give it a filmic look. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's certainly one of the one of the best disc releases of the year, I would say. And those extras too, you're talking about, and uh, not to be outdone, uh, you may have heard about this, but uh, Vinegar Syndrome is going to be doing a 4K of his uh, yeah. next, uh, not his next film after that. The Long Riders was the next film he did after that, which is also good. But they're going to be doing Southern Comfort, which you know I love that. Uh, I've yep. showed that to you before, I think, and that was uh, Walter Hill's uh, uh, two movies away from this one. But I think it's, I think it's even better than the Warriors, in my opinion. It's, uh, I love the Warriors, but Southern Comfort just takes it to another level, I think, with that. And if anybody out there uh, has not seen Southern Comfort, uh, please see Southern Comfort because it is a great, <laughs> great film. Um, it's re- really good. So, yeah, he was a good filmmaker there for a while. He was on fire. He kind of lost his way a little bit. Um, 
And, uh, you know, so, yeah, another one of his films has been released, and we'll jump ahead while we're talking about him. We'll get it out of the way, is Last Man Standing with Bruce Willis. That was a, a remaking of, a reworking of Yojimbo, which was the uh, Akira Kurosawa film, and Bruce Willis in, in this, as I said, from 1996. This is a Shout Factory release. There are no extras on this. Um, it's just, uh, it's been previously issued, bundled up with The Last Boy Scout, which is another Bruce Willis film. I have that set that has Last Man Standing and Last Boy Scout, but I don't have the new standalone edition. But Walter Hill also directing that one for anybody who's looking for a Walter Hill double bill. And uh, so you can speak to this next one, too. Uh, we'll talk about JFK right quick. Uh, the new 4K yeah. of JFK, which uh, is a three disc set. And it includes the director's cut, the theatrical cut. Uh, both on 4K and then a uh, fourth disc of special features. So uh, yeah, that's. Um, I'm sorry. There's a, a Blu-ray of the direct. There's a 4K of the director's cut and just a Blu-ray of the theatrical cut. I'm sorry. And uh, and then there's a, a fourth disc of the special features. And there are some new ones here. Uh, editor uh, interviews with the editor, the, the producer, um, makeup effects artist, uh, cinematographer Robert Richardson. Yada yada yada, but we we did rewatch this over a period of two nights, and uh, I'll I'll get you to talk about the uh, quality uh, contained therein on the disc. Yeah, in in terms of the film, I'll I'll start there. I uh, yeah. this is a very enjoyable film for me. Like I said once again, I, I gravitate towards the the political uh, films. It's kind of what I'm interested in professionally. So. Um, there's a lot to learn here. Even if you don't necessarily believe in the conspiracy with the JF, uh, JFK assassination, there's still a lot to learn about what people do believe and then also uh, kind of the mistrust that was stirring in politics in America, just <clears throat> the just the questions that people were facing at the time uh, and kind of coming to terms with our is our government, you know, uh, can we trust our government? Can we trust our leaders? And this really just kind of illustrates all that and what was going on in the tumultuous late 1960s or mid mid to late 1960s um, with several assassinations that were taking place uh, that is uh, talked about in here. Obviously, the JFK assassination but is the focus here, but lots of things going on geopolitically. And I think this film just does a great job of kind of capturing that and hyper fixating on just one aspect of this uh, whirlwind of a time. And like I said, there's a lot to learn. So watch it for that, if not anything else. But it's also very entertaining. Acting's great. Lots of notable faces that you'll find someone you love to watch on screen. And, uh, score is great as well, uh, obviously. And, <clears throat> cause it's, it's John Williams, correct? Uh, yep, that's right. Okay. You, you got yeah. it. So, yeah, so obviously a great score there. And, <laughs> oh yeah. and that's another thing with the, the sound here. Uh, does it have Dolby Atmos? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, let's see. If it, it's even Dolby, if it does, Dolby Vision, it has. Okay. And, I had Dolby Vision. Well, I thought the audio was, uh, amazing and definitely added to the suspense and just the tension created, uh, throughout the, the court case and then also the, the build up to the court case. Uh, Oh, that was presented here. And I've seen this film multiple times because uh, Adam's a huge fan here of JFK. Uh, 
So I'm familiar with it, but it was great to rewatch it again. And the visual aspects of it, I thought it was, it's getting really, really great reviews. And not to throw any, uh, dissuade anyone from trusting those necessarily, but personally, I just thought the transfer was good and it kind of had a soft element to it. And that might have just been how it was filmed or, you know, technical aspects, but it looked great. And I've heard the old Blu-ray was not good. So I'm sure this is worth picking up. And it's a huge box set with lots lots of supplements. So tons to dig into here. Definitely worth it. Yeah, I've owned this on multiple formats. Obviously, I had it on Laserdisc. In the the there was the theatrical cut on Laserdisc, and then there was a box set that had the director's cut. So I had to get I had to buy it all over again. And then uh, there was DVD of it, and then I got the Blu-ray. So now here we are with like the fifth edition of it that I've had over the last thirty years. But I'm glad to and know this the last time. Yeah, the last time I'll have to buy it. But it is it is a terrific film and. Uh, it's uh, one of my all-time favorites. You know, it's uh, the cinematography by Robert Richardson is just amazing. You know, some of the things he does with lighting and the editing, uh, mixing of, uh, you know, actual archival film stocks with newly filmed stuff uh, to the point where you can't tell what has been newly filmed and what is being used from the archives, from news archives. I mean, it's very convincing. That's why a lot of people had, you know, a problem with it. And, uh, because, you know, it's so realistically done that you can't tell where the, uh, the facts begin and the fiction, where the facts end and the fiction begins, you know? So, uh, that's, that's one of the, uh, a, t- a testament to Oliver Stone and his, uh, craftsmanship and the, uh, his great collaborators that worked with him. And this was an Oscar winner for cinematography and editing as well as it, it should have, uh, because those are amazing assets for this film. So, yep, uh, JFK, uh, certainly one of my, uh, favorite releases of the year. I will say that. Um, so another Kino release is Center, the Secret Diary of a Nymphomaniac, directed by Jess Franco, uh, you know what you're getting into if you if you have a Jess Franco film. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, so it's I didn't get a review copy of this one, but just wanted to make mention of it. There's a new commentary track. I think this is maybe part of their new uh, Kino Cult series. 1973 is the release date for this. So anyway, um, so we're just about to wrap up here. Uh, Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, which did not get very good reviews. Uh, I think the picture quality is okay, but, uh, the, uh, the film itself, no, not so much. Uh, didn't get around to seeing it, but, uh, it is a prequel to Pet Cemetery, obviously. And, uh, so, you know, uh, Shaw Brothers Classics Volume 4 is a new Shout Factory set. Uh, the Shaw Brothers Hong Kong Studios, uh, The Rebel Intruders, Two Champions of Shaolin, Legend of the Fox, Black Lizard, House of Traps, Masked Avengers, Sword Stained with Royal Blood, Five Element, Min- Ninjas, Shaolin Prince, Shaolin Intruders, Holy Flame of the Martial World, and Opium and the Kung Fu Master from 1980 to 84, the years of release for these films. Uh, just wanted to mention those. And Monk, the complete second season. This is a series that uh, has, you know, I always wanted to take time to watch this show, but never did. You know, it's about the uh, the obsessive compulsive who, sell, who um, solves crimes. And uh, having a little bit of OCD myself at times, uh, I always thought it might appeal to me. Never got around to seeing it, and but uh, I hear that the transfers are terrific on these. They're Kino's putting these out a, a one set at a time, and they're up to the second season now. So um, anyway, um, 
And uh, Our Town is a uh, based on the classic Thornton Wilder play. They made us, uh, this was, uh, our English class made us study uh, Our Town. That was required when I was in, I think, ninth or tenth grade. And so uh, they also made us watch this film. And I remember the quality not being good on it, washed out DVD or VHS tape back then, but uh, it's been restored meticulously by classic flicks. And I would like to rewatch this because I think I would appreciate it more now than I did then. I think I was too young to really, you know, get the the uh, what the importance of the film and uh, you know what it's trying to uh, uh, articulate in the film. But anyway, uh, you got to William Holden and uh, Beulah Bondi and Thomas Mitchell. Who uh, plays uh, Jimmy Stewart's uncle in the the uh, the absent-minded uncle in It's a Wonderful Life? <laughs> He's in this as well. So anyway, uh, Our Town, 1940. I would like to uh, I'd like to revisit this. And Mondo, New York, is a documentary that captures New York in the late 80s. This is uh, from oh MVD releasing. It's a uh, brand new HD transfer from the original negative and. Um, Basically, they say it's uh, home to outcasts, misfits, losers, perverts, lunatics, gangsters, pranksters, uh, whatever you want it. We got it in Mondo, New York. And uh, so, uh, yeah, this is, uh, like I said, MVD does a lot of these indie films, and uh, this is one that they released. And I don't even think it had a, uh, a previous DVD release. I think it just went straight to Blu-ray. So, anyway, you get the soundtrack CD here and an 18-page booklet and uh, interviews with the uh, – uh, some of the uh, people in the film and uh, and the producer. So anyway, uh, Mondo, New York, and uh, just about to wrap it up. We uh, on the 26th of December. Not a whole lot of titles there, but one of the titles was a 4K upgrade of The Man and the Iron Mask, and we'll uh, call back to um, uh, Titanic because this was one of the first films that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio opted to do after Titanic. Had made him a star, and it also has Jeremy Irons, John Malkovich, Gerard Depardieu, and Gabriel Byrne in the uh, thrilling tale of Majesty and Musketeers, Man in the Iron Mask, getting a 4K upgrade. This is, uh, I think it was the debut of the uh, screenwriter of Braveheart, his uh, first time directing it. Mm-hmm. Randall Wallace, he wrote the, uh, wrote, wrote the screenplay and directed the film. And uh, like I said, new uh, 4K transfer previously on Blu-ray from uh, as part of the Shout Select line of titles. And, um, you know, you get uh, the interviews that were on the previous disc and the uh, uh, behind-the-scenes feature commentary and all that. So, And then I have one DVD that was sent to me. Uh, this is a Pam Greer film from uh, MGM releasing. They're doing their own stuff now. And it's a Black Mama, White Mama from 1970. I think this is 1973, yeah. Uh, a prostitute and a revolutionary escape from a Philippine woman's prison disguised as nuns and chained together. They head into jungle pursued by local police and a small-time kingpin. <laughs> so uh, that's a curio. I haven't gotten around to it that's yet. An interesting but, premise. I uh, know it is. Black Mama, White Mama. I, I, I knew the title, but had never... Had not. I actually thought it was a Blu-ray, and I requested it, not knowing it was a DVD, but I thought, well, you know better to have it on dvd than not at all so i definitely am looking forward to checking that out and then there's a documentary from vinegar syndrome we'll, we'll end it with this uh king on screen is a vinegar syndrome uh 
It's a slipcase uh, limited to 2,000 copies, and it's a documentary on the more than 80 films and TV series uh, of Stephen King's works that have been adapted to to uh, film and TV. And it's called King on Screen. It's a documentary. Uh, so this uh, has uh, some interesting people in the cast uh, being interviewed. James Caan, Amy Irving, Mike Flanagan, uh, Jeffrey DeMunn, Frank Darabont, Taylor Hackford. Uh, I would like to see this. This this might be interesting. Uh, but uh, anyway, and there's two cuts of it, too. I think there's a director's a longer cut or something. But it's about an hour and 45 minutes. King on screen from... Vinegar Syndrome, and I think that uh, that pretty well takes care of the December 2023 4K and Blu-ray releases, or whatever it's worth. Oh, and there is, uh, oh, I forgot there is a, from a company called Film Rise, the Dick Van Dyke Show has been issued on uh, DVD as a DVD set, the complete series, so I did get that too, I forgot about that, so before I... Uh, before I uh, sign off, just wanted to mention that. Been, uh, it's been a pleasure having you back, joining us again, and I uh, hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. <laughs> oh, yeah. would love to make an appearance sometime soon again. Yep, well, we, we're sure. always welcome having you back. I, I noticed the last time you were on, uh, there were quite a few. Uh, your episode was high up on the list of people, uh, uh, of the downloads and the listens, so... Uh, you were a popular guest on the show. What can I say? So uh, a second helping couldn't be a bad thing. <laughs> That's what I do. Mm-hmm.